Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys, and so glad you're here today. Um, and so today, uh, we get to kind of wrap up this series called Anxious for Nothing. And that phrase comes from uh, Philippians chapter 4, when Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing. Uh, Max Lucado says this. Um, he wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing, and uh, he said, maybe you can relate to this. He says, there's trouble out there. So you don't sleep well, you don't laugh often, you don't enjoy the sun, you don't whistle as you walk, and when others do, you give them a look, that look that you are naive look. You may even give them a word. Haven't you read the news and haven't you heard the reports and haven't you seen the studies? Airplanes fall out of the sky, bull markets go bare, terrorists terrorize, good people turn bad, the other shoe will drop, fine print will be found, misfortune lurks out there, it's just a matter of time. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. What if I don't close the cell? What if we don't get the bonus? What if we can't afford braces for the kids? What if my kids have crooked teeth? What if crooked teeth keep them from having friends, a career, or a spouse? What if they end up homeless and hungry holding a cardboard sign that says my parents couldn't afford braces for me? <laughs> Don't we think like this sometimes? He says anxiety is trepidation. It's a suspicion, an apprehension. Life in a minor key with major concerns. Perpetually on the pirate ship's plank. You're part Chicken Little and part Eeyore. <laughs> the sky is falling and it's falling disproportionately on you. And as a result, you're anxious. A free-floating sense of dread hovers over you, a, 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 a call over the heart, a nebulous hunch about things that, that might happen sometime in the future. Anxiety and fear are cousins but not twins. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Fear screams, get out. But anxiety ponders, what if? Fear results in a fight or flight. Anxiety creates doom and gloom. Fear is the pulse that pounds when you see a cold rattlesnake in your front yard. But anxiety is the voice that tells you never ever for the rest of your life walk barefooted through the grass because there might be a snake somewhere. I think he does a pretty good job kind of painting that word picture of what anxiety is like, right? That you're, you're constantly, what if, what if, and, and it leads us down this path. I love that. He's like, what if I, my kid needs braces, and what if we can't afford them? And then what if they, they're homeless because of braces, and what if they're made fun of? And I mean, our mind just gets on this what if, and we go and make up these stories in our minds about what could happen. That's anxiety. The danger is out there somewhere, so we have to live in fear. Fear of not having enough money, fear of getting sick, fear of conflict. And, and I could just go on and on. It's fear about what may happen, but we live with that constant weight on us. And we talked about that last week, how that's a weight we were never designed, we were never meant to carry. So why are we so stressed in our world today? Have you ever thought about that? Um, and I'll share some statistics here in a little while. We're stressed more than any, any other generation in history. And it's not that we have more problems than any other generation in history, but we have more stress. Why is that? I think part of it is our pace of life. Uh, we, for whatever reason, we feel like we have to constantly be going and doing something. We don't understand rest. We don't understand this rhythm of life that allows us to, to honor the Sabbath. I think that pace of life is 
uh, is part of it. I think another thing is the rapid change we've seen in society. Um, and really, the, it's, a lot of it's due to technology. The changes we've seen over the last you know, 20, 30, 40 years have been exponential in our world around us. And, you know, I, I don't want to be, what well, back in my day, but back in my day, yeah, when we were growing up, we didn't have email, right? We didn't have the internet. You know, we didn't really have computers when we were kids. Uh, the, I remember, you know, the Atari uh, 2400, 26, you remember when those came out? You know, that was a big deal. Um, uh, you know, this is, that's the world we kind of grew up in. Now, I mean, you know, for us, it would have been unimaginable as kids having a, a phone that you could actually call people from from in town. I mean, the way our parents knew where we were is just to stand on the porch and yell really loud, right? But now we're constantly accessible from anywhere at any time. Uh, and I think social media has caused some of this stress because we're constantly comparing our lives to the lives of other people around us. And I've shared before, you know, the problem with social media is you, you're seeing everyone else's highlights and you're comparing your everyday life to their highlight reel. All right, there, there's issues there. It, it, I think the news has played into this stress level we have. It's not that more bad things happen, it's the, that more people know about them now because they're broadcasted more. And we see them. And, and we're, again, in fear sales. Fear sells, and so they, they push that. There's more division in politics. There's more uh, division in just general life, and there's less civility between people. So we have all this argument. All that kind of adds up. It's not just one thing. It's all of that combination. Now we're living with this weight of anxiety and fear and dread and worry and, and, and stress. And so if you're laughing less and you're stressing more, I want you to know that there's a way to find comfort and peace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, you, you would think that Christians, as Christians, we would be exempt from worry, right? We, we have nothing to worry about, but uh, and we're taught that the Christian life is a life of peace. But the, the problem is then we, we, we start feeling stressed, we start feeling anxiety, we start feeling worried, then we beat ourselves up because we are feeling, because we know we're not supposed to feel that way, and it's just like this cycle. Can you relate to that? I mean, you know, as, as a Christian, you tend to beat yourself up sometimes when you struggle with something you feel like you shouldn't be struggling with. And so I, I'll tell you this, and, and Max Lucado said it this way, he said, anxiety is not a sin, it's an emotion. So, so don't be anxious about feeling anxious. Anxiety can, however, lead to sinful behavior. And so that's where we have to stop it. That's where we have to cut it off. That's where we have to be aware enough to recognize it and deal with it before it leads us into sin. And, and so today we're going to be in the Psalms a little bit. We're going to be in one of Paul's letters as well. Um, but I want to give us some hope about overcoming stress and anxiety. If you're there now, if you're dealing with it, I want to give you help that you can overcome it. Uh, psalm 61 is where we're going to start. It's a familiar psalm. David is stressed out. Uh, we're starting this new sermon series about David. And what I love about David uh, is that we see the good and the bad. We see everything. His emotions are on full display. And here... Uh, he's far from home. He's far from God. He's worn out. He's stressed out. 
He's hoping for, for protection from trouble. We don't know what the trouble is, but we see the effect of it. It's wearing him out, and he's just flat out overwhelmed. He needs a God bigger than himself. He needs a safe place to retreat from all that is on that, that load that he's carrying. And I think this psalm is so relatable because of that, because we've all been there. And so David knows you have to turn to God when you feel like you have no hope. And let's read the first four verses of it. He says, Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. We see here David, he's crying out to God. But here's the first thing I want you to understand this morning and I feel like once we kind of grab hold of this principle, it really changes how we view uh, really life in general. This is a big, important principle we're going to talk about. And it's simply this. We are all broken people. We are all broken people. Now, you say, well, Mike, I, I don't know. My, my, I mean, things are going pretty good for me right now. I'm, I don't feel that broken. Can I tell you we're all broken now, we've heard the verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, right? But I want you to know that we all experience the effects of a broken world that we live in. Now, some of people are maybe more broken than others. Some of us are broken because of things we've done. Some of us are broken because of things that have been done to us. Uh, some of us are broken in very different ways. But when we start understanding this brokenness, um, you start understanding that, okay, this is a result of the world we live in. This is a result of sin. Um, chances are that you or someone you know is really struggling with anxiety. Right? Uh, according to the Nas National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. And this was before COVID. I think COVID has been like gasoline on a fire. It's accelerated it, right? In a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, a phobia, or other anxiety disorder. Our chest will tighten. We'll feel dizzy and lightheaded. We'll, we'll fear crowds. We'll avoid people. Anxiety disorders in the United States are the number one mental health problem among women and are only second to alcohol and drug abuse among men then the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. It costs the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. Uh, the Journal for the American Medical Association cites a study that indicates an ex exponential increase in depression as well. These kind of go along together. People of each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people of the preceding generation. So every generation we see this get more and more and more and more. Um, psychologist Robert Leahy, he says this, he says, The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. 
we see this all the time, right? We see this. We see our kids growing up with stress and anxiety and worry. And they're, they're carrying that load that they, they shouldn't be carrying. Why? Because they're broken and we're broken and we live in a broken world. And we've let that brokenness define who we are. I think all of this shows the brokenness. As I've gotten older, one of the things that I think that, that has helped me is I've become more understanding of people who are different than me. Because you get to a point where you realize everybody is dealing with a lot of junk in their lives. Everybody is, deal, is carrying that brokenness. And we look around and we see people that seem like they have it all together. And we think, man, they've got it all together. Their life is great. They don't have any problems. Can I just tell you, they're just hiding it better than you. Right? They're just hiding it. Because they're broken too. You're broken and we all have our brokenness. And when we start realizing that, that maybe the reason that they're rude, maybe the reason that they're manipulative, maybe they're angry, maybe they're afraid, maybe they're addicted, it's all because of the brokenness in our world. When we understand that, right, uh, it helps us show compassion. It helps us uh, it, it helps us really reach out to them and, and try to help them through their brokenness instead of being angry at them. And so you may struggle with anxiety or panic attacks or depression or fear or addiction or anger. It doesn't mean you're not normal. It means you're broken like everyone else. But we can't use our brokenness as an excuse for sin. We can't, use our, we can't be defined by our brokenness. We, we have to understand we are broken, but we have to also understand that we can take our brokenness and we can take it to Jesus. We can learn from it. We can repent from, from it when it leads us to sin. And we can use that to grow us and make us stronger. And that's really what today we're talking about. How we take that brokenness and allow God to take that brokenness and make something beautiful out of it. We, we live in a culture that says if you're broken, you don't get a chance to speak anymore. Uh, that's one of the things that concerns me about this whole type of, of cancel type culture, whatever you call it today. If anybody that messes up, they're, they're canceled. And then and it's, it, everybody jumps on the bad wagon. Everybody throws stones. Everybody gets mad and angry until the crowd turns on them. And because eventually you're going to realize everybody's broken in, a, in their unique way. And so I look at this world we live in and it just it breaks my heart to think that so many people are struggling and they feel like they have nowhere to turn. They feel like no one cares. They feel like this weight that they're carrying that, that no one hears. And when David was in Psalm 61, he's like, God, I need you. You're the, the place I go. God, you're, you're my refuge. You're my, my, my strong tower. You're my safety. You're, God, you're the only one that understands what I'm going through. And I think that leads me to my next point here. We may be broken people, but we have a beautiful Savior. We may be broken people. We have a beautiful save, Savior. Now, when we understand this now, right, it helps us understand that God cares about us. 
Um, I read this week online, it says, you don't have to go inside a prison to find people who are broken. There's so much pain today and so much heartache from broken things, broken families, broken health, a broken heart, broken trust. You may be broke, perhaps, even in spite of a life that's successful and an outward image that's looking fine. And, and the truth is, right, we, we, we're, we're broken people. Why? We can trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When man rebelled against a loving God, sin entered the world. It entered into every human heart. It broke everything about us. This broke this perfect world that God created. It was forever distorted and broken. It, lead, it led to, to broken lives and broken relationships. And, and even nature itself was broken because of sin entering the world. And we're living with the effects of that now. That's, you can trace all of the problems all the way back to Genesis 3. But God loves us so much that he didn't leave us in that mess alone. God loves us so much that that's why he sent his son. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, I don't think I have this on, on screen, but I'll read from chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 from the message. It says, now that we know what we have, we have Jesus this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. I love that, right? I mean, this is, this is God in the flesh. This is... Jesus, he loves us so much that he didn't leave us on this earth to, to flounder in our, the mess that we've created because of our sin and our brokenness. He came down and became one of us and lived among us. And he, he provides a way that we could be made right with God. And so he came so that he could give us mercy. He could give us help so that he could rescue us. Now, there's a, a church out in California in, in Los Angeles called Mosaic. And... Um, um, I heard that the pastor described the name one time. I was like, oh man, that is so, so awesome. Um, and he said, Mosaic is founded on this artistic image of broken pieces being brought together with light shining through them. It's a beautiful depiction of what happens when imperfect lives come together to serve Christ. There may be cracks, but there's also creativity and wonder. And so what God is so great at doing, he takes all of these broken pieces, all of this mess, and just if you look at one individual piece, it looks sharp and jagged and rough, and he takes that and he, he puts it together. He creates a mosaic out of it. And then his light shines through it. And what once looked broken and disordered and disorganized and broken now becomes a masterpiece when it's in the hands of of God as his light shines through it that's a picture of the church guys that's a picture of the church is what God does with us he takes all of us broken and he puts us where he wants us to be he puts us where he needs us he puts us where we need to be to create the the the, the plan for our lives that he's given us and then he shines his light through it and what on, on the surface looks broken, when God's light starts shining through, all of a sudden you see a masterpiece. 
I love that image of what God does to us. That's our life. Because the Savior, He knows our pain. He gets us. There are other people in life who can empathize. There may be uh, counselors that can help you understand the pain. But only Jesus can carry your pain. Only He can heal that lifetime of brokenness and, and start putting the pieces back together and shine His light through it so the world can see the masterpiece that He created. Ephesians 2.10, For you are God's masterpiece. You are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do the good things that He created, that He planned for you long ago. I, I, that, that verse is just so powerful because... We're his masterpiece, his prized possession, his, his, his workmanship that he created. And so when Jesus says, I came to, to bind up the brokenhearted, that's us. That, that's us. And that leads me to my next point. God is our, he's our place of refuge. He's our place of strength. You know, and, and if you flip back to Psalm 61, right, uh, lead me to the towering rock of safety. You are my safe refuge, a fortress when my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. And so God is our refuge. What is a refuge? It's a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, from danger or trouble. It's our safe place where we can go, where even though we're being chased, even though we're in danger, even though we, we feel the weight of the world on us, we're safe when we're in our refuge. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. We will not fear. And so I think about that and think about what we need, right? It's just to understand when this pressure, this weight is upon us, we need somewhere safe to go. And that, that's, that's in the arms of Jesus. All right. Uh, there, there's a commentary series. And it says this, the truth is that, that it, even in those times of stress and anxiety and worry, God is only a prayer way. In prayer, we bridge the apparent gap between ourselves and our God. In prayer, we come to God and ask God to lead us to himself. He is the towering rock of safety, the safe refuge, the fortress in which we are safe from the onslaughts of life. And since he has shown himself to be such a God in the past, we resolve to live in his presence and under his protective wings in our present. So when we understand this, we allow God, right, to, to, to understand that he's the ruler of everything. He is sovereign, that he is good. And that helps kind of steady us when the world is, is crazy around us. I don't know about you guys, but I look at the news, I look at the world around today. It's crazy. I was reading just in the news this morning just about the shooting in Buffalo yesterday that was racially motivated. Heartbreaking, right? I think it was 10 people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo last night. I mean, I, I, you, every time you turn on the news, you see something and you, you see the depravity of mankind. You see brokenness. You see sin. We need somewhere we can go when the world is, 
is an earthquake around us. We need somewhere we, we can count on. And, that, and that's a person. It's, it's Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the life of David in the Psalms here that we've been reading, that he says it's, God is a refuge, a, a safe place, a strong tower. David was, his life was messed up. And we're going to be learning about these next few weeks, right? He was chased by, by Saul. I got to see the, the cave where David was actually hiding from Saul. It's an amazing place there. Um, we, you see David was running from him. We see how he was hunted down. We see even his own son um, Absalom was, was chasing him down, trying to overthrow him. And yet in all of this, David's like, God, you're, you're, my, you're my strong tower. You're my refuge. You're my place of strength. Um, you see students at school, right? Uh, we don't do it much here because we don't really have to deal with earthquakes too much here. But, you know, in earthquake-prone areas, they have to get under their desk and do earthquake drills. Have you ever seen that? It's like they're looking for where do you go when it's, when, when, when the earthquake comes, where do you hide? And their desk is like, but let's be honest, if a big earthquake comes, is your desk going to protect you? And I've been in a couple of rather large earthquakes in Nicaragua, and I mean, they're still not huge, but they're bigger than what we have around here. and They're a little disconcerting, let's put it that way. When you start shaking and you're, you're like, okay, you know, you're wanting to, to, to get outside. You're wanting to get in the middle of an open field where nothing can fall on you. And yet we see here, right, if we take this earthquake analogy, we realize there's a time that a desk, it's not going to be enough protection. And, but we have to realize it's in those times that Jesus is all we need. He's the one that can protect us when this world is, goes far beyond what we're able to handle. And so that kind of leads me then to how do we overcome this brokenness? We recognize, we kind of established that there is this brokenness. We're, we're all broken. We're all dealing with things in different degrees and different, you know. We're, we're, all, we're all dealing with this stress of life in one way or another. So how do we overcome it? I think there's a, a passage I, I want to kind of close out this series with that, um, from the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison. Uh, he's writing this book kind of not knowing what's going to happen next. He's appealed to go to, 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 to Caesar in Rome. Um, he's not knowing if he's going to live, he's going to die, what's going to happen. Um, so he's kind of writing out these letters, um, uh, again, from, from prison, from being under house arrest. He's writing these, and he writes a letter about being content, about having joy in the middle of this. And in this, he gives us this, this passage. It's one of the most quoted passage in all. I think it actually is the most highlighted verse in you version. Out of millions and millions of people around the world, this, uh, this verse uh, is the, the most highlighted one. And, and let me just read the whole passage before and after it. And if we'll pick it up in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 8. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate and all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. And this is where we get into 
uh, the, the most quoted vo- verse. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So here, I think there's kind of three things that I'll pull out. If you want to overcome this stress, anxiety, this brokenness, here's the first thing that you you can do. You can celebrate God's goodness. So if you're here today and you're like, Mike, I'm just feeling overwhelmed, then one of the first things I'm going to tell you to do is start celebrating God's goodness. It's hard to be worried when we're celebrating how good God is. You see, worry and praise, worry and gratitude can't coexist at the same time. And so when you're starting to feel anxious, you're starting to to feel worried, start immediately thinking about the good things that God has done in your life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. It's interesting. I looked up, it's actually a secular article about gratitude and worry, and this is not from a Christian perspective, but the, you see this undeniable correlation between gratitude and joy. And, and the title said, Gratitude Reduces Anxiety and Depression. And, and the article said this. It said, By reducing the stress hormones and managing the autonomic nervous system functions, gratitude significantly reduces symptoms of depression and anxiety. At the neurochemical level, Feelings of gratitude are associated with an increase in the neural modulation of the prefrontal cortex, the brain site responsible for managing negative emotions like guilt, shame, and violence. And as a result, people who keep a gratitude journal or use verbal expressions for the same are more empathetic and positive-minded by nature. I, I, just, I think it's interesting when we see secular science kind of confirm what the Bible already tells us? Don't you? I think that's interesting to me when we see that, when we see experts in their field say, you know what, being grateful for things, being thankful, um, having a gratitude journal, writing down what you're thankful for, that makes a difference in your life. Jesus tells us the same thing, right? I mean, it's what we just read. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. How many times are we told to be thankful? How many times are we told to have gratitude? Because when we focus on those things, right, it it helps us kind of refocus our struggle, refocus our problem. Now, I, I shared how we're all broken, how God kind of rearranges that. Romans 8, 28, the verse that you, you may be familiar with. I think it's a verse that's sometimes misquoted, but it says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This verse does not say that everything that happens to us is good. Right? It doesn't say that, but it says God can take even those bad things, even those struggles, even the brokenness, and that he can take those things and then turn them around and use them for good. It's not that only good things happen to us, but he can take those bad things and still use them for good. 
And I want you to understand that this morning. You are not too broken to be used by God. Whatever you've gone through, whatever it's been, God can still use you. God can still use you. Now, 1 Peter 5.10 says, In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, not if, but after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. He will place you on a firm foundation. And so that's the first thing we do. We can celebrate God's goodness. Here's the second thing. We can take our problems to God and we can find help. We can take, it says in verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. There's power in prayer. There's power when we take our problems to God. In prayer, we present ourselves, we present our needs. We go before God and say, This is what's going on in my life. Prayer is communication. It's talking to God. It's listening to Him. Um, And so, you know, we pray for others. And and prayer is just this way we stay attuned to what God wants to do in us and through us. And maybe you've heard me share this before, but prayer not only changes the problems we face, it changes us in the process. Prayer changes what we think about. Prayer changes who we are. It changes how we react. Because we draw close to God. He draws close to us. It changes what we focus on. And as you read through scriptures, one of the things that you'll learn, one of the things that you'll see over and over again, is God wants His children preoccupied with Him and not struggling and focused on things of this world. And so, again... Prayer is just acknowledging God can handle any problem that we bring to Him. We don't, handle, we don't have to handle it on, on our own. He can give us the help we need. And that leads me to the third and final thing here. That we can fix our thoughts on what is good. We can fix our thoughts on what is good. Uh, Philippians 4 uh, verse 8. Um, fix your thoughts. On what is true, what is honorable, what's right, what is pure, what is lovely, what's admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so what this means is sometimes we have to identify the lies that we are believing. What we are telling ourselves, that, um, that soundtrack that we're playing in our head. As a Christian author just came out with a book called Soundtrack, and he talks about this, that there's a, a music list, a soundtrack that we're playing in our head that we're listening to over and over and over again. And, and we've got to, to identify what is true and what is lies from Satan. And as we start identifying those things and we start focusing on what is good, I'm telling you, it changes your outlook. The best way to eliminate a bad habit is to replace it with a good one. And there are a few habits that are as bad as worrying. First uh, Thessalonians 5 says, Test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is good, right? That's what we focus on. Colossians 3 says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. The more we think about our problems, the more we play the what-if game. The more we think our, prob- our problems just start growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. 
the more we focus on those things, the more it seems like we, there's no way out. And, and we kind of just go in this downward spiral. Um, 1 Peter 1.13 says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Um, Jay Adams gave this practical advice. He says this, Whenever you catch your mind wandering back into the forbidden territory, and you can be sure that it will more frequently at first until you retrain and discipline it, change the direction of your thought. Do not allow yourself one conscious moment of such a thought. Instead, crisply ask God to help you refocus upon, that thing, upon those things that fit into Paul's list here in Philippians 4.8. The attitude must grow within you that says, so if I have a fear experience, so what? It's unpleasant, it's disturbing, but I'm going to live through it. At least I always have before. When you honestly can think this way without becoming anxious, you will know that the change has been made in your mind. Now, throughout this series, you've heard us say, right, there are things in life that you go through. There, there are people that are suffering from severe levels of stress and anxiety and worry and that need help need counseling and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that but I also see many people just struggling with this what if struggling with their mind being focused on the wrong thing and so for those people I want to just challenge you right let's focus on what we can control not those things that we can't control Let's start understanding this. If you keep going in Philippians 4, right after he says, focus on what is good, what is honorable, what is true, all that. Philippians 4, 9 says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And I want nothing more than for you guys to experience that peace of God that transcends all understanding. That peace of God that guards your hearts and minds. That peace of God that says no matter what happens around me, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens, God will give me the strength I need when I need it. God's going to carry me through this trial. God's going to carry me through uh, this, uh, this challenge in my life. God's going to walk with me through this sickness. God's going to provide comfort in this loss. Whatever it is, God is enough. And so I, I just, uh, John MacArthur said this. He said, the real challenge of Christian living is not to eliminate every uncomfortable circumstance from our lives, but to trust our sovereign, wise, good, and powerful God in the midst of every situation. Things that might trouble us, such as the way we look, the, others, the way others treat us, or where we live or work, can actually be sources of strength and not weakness. Jesus said to his disciples, These things I've spoken to you so that you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. As disciples of Jesus, we need to accept the fact that we live in an imperfect world and we need to allow God to do his perfect work in us. Our Lord will give us his peace as we confidently entrust ourselves to his care. And so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what the load that you're carrying is. But I want you to know that as a church, we are here for you. And more importantly, we can point you to the one that can help you with every problem you face. 
And so today, as we close, I want to take us to the Lord in prayer. Um, I want to help us just to, to lay down our lives before God and say, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to walk with you. We need you more than ever. And so uh, would you just bow your heads right now with me? And before I start praying, I want you to just kind of zero in. What are, what are those things in your life that you're doing that what-if game with? What, what are those things that are preoccupying you, that are keeping you up at night, that you're worried about, that you're anxious about? Maybe today God is calling you to lay those down and to trust Him. And to, to think back about what is good and what is holy and what is right and what, how He has blessed you in the past. Uh, think about those things and just start laying them down today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we've jumped into your word, as we've continued to talk throughout this series about anxiety and worry and stress, my prayer is that we would be able to find peace. Peace that would hold us up when we feel like we can't, we can't stand on our own. Peace that would... Keep us confident in the hope we have in Jesus, even when the world seems to crumble around us. Lord, I pray for our children. I pray for our teenagers, this, that they would uh, be able to see that they can trust you. That they don't have to carry this load on their own. Lord, I pray for our church that we would be able to look around at the people around us and understand their brokenness. And instead of condemning them, we would actually try to help them find the one that can fix every broken part of us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you take broken people and you create something beautiful out of that. And so my prayer is that for us as a church, that your light would shine through us. That people would see us for your hand upon us, the designer, the creator, the masterpiece. Lord, we just thank you today for everyone who is listening online. Everyone is here today as we pray, Lord, would today be that, that day that they would say, God, I, I want to trust you more. I want to trust you. I want to lay down my burdens. I want to, I just want to walk with you. I want to experience that peace. Lord, I, I pray that we would be able to do that today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.